Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. If you'd like more content like this, visit us on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on February 7th, 2021, on the basis of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Harold Johnson. He was an electronic warfare officer for the United States Air Force during the, the Vietnam War. Now, th- that sounds like a, a fancy title, and it is. He, he had many and various jobs, but to simplify it, his job was to protect the aircraft from enemies, simply put. And he was pretty good at his job. And so he would sit in the back of a fighter jet and do his job to protect that fighter jet. Him and his crew, they were successful. They had flown 92 successful missions, which during the Vietnam War, that was a big deal. They say that the survival rate of anybody who was flying jets or planes at that time was about 50%. So 92 successful missions was a big deal. And they only needed to get to 100 for them to be discharged from their duty. Well, you can maybe guess why I picked 92 to say successful, because the 93rd mission, something went wrong. On the 93rd mission, they got hit with a a missile, and Harold and one of his crewmates were were able to eject themselves from the, the fighter jet and get out, and they parachuted to the ground. But when they hit the ground, they were captured by the enemy and taken to a a prisoner camp. Now, the prisoner camps during the Vietnam War were brutal. They were were inhumane. Those prisoners were were treated awful. And him and the other prisoners of war there were beaten and tortured on a daily basis They were unable to have any contact with the outside world unless they were dragged in front of cameras as propaganda. And so Harold's wife didn't know whether he was dead or alive for six years. For six years, he was in this prison camp being beaten and tortured, unable to communicate with anybody until, finally, they released him. They let him out and let him go back to the United States. Imagine the feeling of relief. Imagine the feeling of relief that, that Harold must have had as he set foot on his home soil of Iowa. He was free, finally, after six long years. He, he could hug his wife and talk to her. He, he could go a few days, weeks, months without feeling intense physical pain. This had to be amazing, right? He was free. It'd be pretty ridiculous if Harold wanted to go back. <laughs> Do you think he did? Did he want to go back to, to Vietnam just, just to experience a good old-fashioned beating just, just one more time? <laughs> Absolutely not, right? That, that's illogical. Why would somebody give up freedom in exchange for 
slavery. Freedom in exchange for imprisonment. He he was now free from, from the people who once controlled him. Nobody would exchange freedom for slavery. Freedom is something to take thankfully, not to give up willingly. Yet as illogical as that sounds, that's our theme for this morning. You are free to be a slave. We're going to look at at just a few verses from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. We're going to walk through verse by verse this morning and talk about what Paul talks about here. And we'll start with verse 19. If I can get my clicker to work here. There we go. Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. What does it mean to be free? Maybe it's something that we actually do think about in the United States, a a decent amount, right? What does it mean to be free? It's a question I asked myself after I got done reading this. And it made me wonder, would we understand freedom better if we had experienced the opposite of freedom? Slavery. Take Harold Johnson, for example. Do you think that he understood and appreciated freedom on a whole new level after going through what he went through in Vietnam? Do you think that that standing on his home soil of Iowa, being able to to hug his wife, going days without physical pain, do you think he appreciated that a little bit more than, than before he went off to war? You'd think so, right? He knew the opposite. He knew what it was like to be imprisoned, to be enslaved. He knew what it was like to be under the control of someone else. And so he could appreciate what true freedom was. He could appreciate the the things that he maybe didn't appreciate as much in the past because now he belonged to no one. Which is exactly how Paul describes freedom. That's going to be kind of our working definition for freedom this morning, is what Paul says. Though I am free and belong to no one. So, so freedom, according to Paul, at least in part, is belonging to no one. Paul knew this. Paul knew what freedom was like because Paul knew the opposite of freedom. So we've kind of talked a little bit about physical slavery, imprisonment, through the lens of Harold Johnson, right? We're going to make a transition now. Because that picture is a good picture for us when we think about slavery to sin, slavery to the devil, spiritual slavery. Because Paul knew what that was like. He knew what it was like to be a slave to Satan. Because he was a slave to Satan's sinister plans. He was a pawn in Satan's game. Satan used him to to torture and to kill Christians. Satan used him to suppress the message of the gospel by striking fear in the hearts of of all Christians. Paul maybe didn't feel like it at the time, but he was a slave to Satan and a slave to sin. In fact, he he probably didn't feel like a slave at all. He probably felt like he could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, and he kind of enjoyed what he was doing. He thought he was doing good things here on earth. But in reality, he was a slave to Satan, a slave to sin, and a slave to 
the ways of the world. Now, we use the Apostle Paul quite often to, to talk about our own Christian life, too, and, and rightfully so. Paul wrote a lot of books of the Bible, and we, we hear a lot of words from Paul. So it's, it's good for us to, to make a comparison here. And, and we can say, yeah, Paul was a slave to sin. Uh, he was a slave to Satan. He was a slave to the ways of the world. We, we can all agree with that, right? But sitting here in Brandon, South Dakota, we probably don't find much in common with the, the Christian killer, Paul. Which is okay. But we have, to, we have to search our own heart a little bit too because we might actually have a little bit more in common with Paul than we tend to think. But, but let's let Jesus shed light on this for us first. Because Jesus, when he's talking to a group of believing Jews, he, he has one little line that is kind of convicting. Not, not kind of, it is convicting to us. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So we have our working definition of freedom right now, right? Paul's definition here, that we belong to no one. That's our working definition. So if the opposite of freedom is slavery, then our working definition of slavery would be belonging to someone, belonging to something. Now now add in Jesus' verse here. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So, so everyone who sins belongs to sin. And then let's take it one step further. Everyone who sins belongs to the originator of sin, Satan. That'll wake you up on a Sunday morning, right? Everyone who sins belongs to, to Satan. That, that sounds kind of harsh, right? Everyone who sins serves Satan's purpose. So what does serving Satan mean? Well, we we think of a a lot of dark things, right? But serving Satan's purpose is nothing more than, than keeping yourself and keeping others away from the freeing message of Christ. If he can keep you away from that, if he can keep you away from the truth of freedom in Christ, Satan is served. Because what Satan ultimately wants to do is he wants to keep you in chains. He wants to keep you as his slave. And sometimes we think of Satan as this bumbling, fumbling bad guy. Like if you picture the bad guys in in Home Alone, that's kind of sometimes how we picture Satan, right? That that God is always going to get, always gets the best of of Satan. He's like the bad guy that just can't quite do it. That's how we picture him, right? And it's true, Jesus defeats Satan, but Satan is still cunning and crafty. He is the father of lies, the the twister of the truth. He is a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and he is oh so good at his job. I don't think anybody would come out and say, at least anybody here would come out and say, I want to be a slave to sin. (laughs) No one would say that. You wouldn't say those words. You wouldn't even think those words because we, we don't. We don't want to be a slave to sin. But Satan makes that path oh so enticing because down that path of being a slave to sin, of being a slave to Satan, down that path, I am the number one priority. Down that path, I am the most important person bar none. 
down that path, my wants, my desires, my wishes, my will are more important and supersede anyone's, including God's. Down that path, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and that feels free. It feels free to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Oh, Satan's so crafty, isn't he? He's so crafty because he can make slavery not feel like slavery. We feel like doing whatever I want, whenever I want, is freedom. Yet in reality, that's slavery. It's slavery to my own sinful wants and desires. It's slavery, I'm enslaving myself to temporary and fleeting things. In reality, I'm enslaving myself to Satan. We said at the beginning it'd be ridiculous, right, to, to go back into slavery after being free. It would have been ridiculous for Harold Johnson to step foot in Iowa, hug his wife, and then say, see you later, I'm hopping on a plane, I'm going back to, to Vietnam and turning myself over to the enemy again. I want to go back to the prison camp. That's ridiculous, right? No one gives up freedom for slavery. Yet think of Jesus. God from all eternity. He was there when, when the world was created. He participated in the creation of the world. That, that's how much power he had. If anyone was ever free, it's Jesus. It's God. He, he is free, right? He left his place of freedom in heaven, and he enslaved himself to human flesh. He confined himself to, to human flesh. God, all-powerful God, was contained in, in one man. And if that wasn't enough, giving up heaven to, to come down and live with us and experience human weakness, he also set aside his power, too. This is the God who created the world. That, that's a lot of power, right? He spoke the world into being. And yet, he set aside his power when he was here on earth. If you read through the, the New Testament, the Gospels, you will never find a time where Jesus is using his power for his own selfish good. Whenever he uses his power as God, it's always in service of someone else. It's always to help somebody else out. It's always for a purpose. Let me give you a real good example. After Jesus was baptized by, the, by John the Baptist, he immediately went out into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. And so to say he was hungry is an understatement of all understatements. <laughs> he was hungry. The first temptation of the devil, he had three of them that we have recorded. The first temptation of the devil was, turn these stones to bread. Now, Jesus just got done fasting for 40 days. That's a long time to go without food. He is hungry. And he most certainly has the power to turn those stones to bread. But this was to satisfy himself. This was to gratify himself. It was not in the service of others. And so he set aside his power. He denies Satan's temptation and he doesn't turn those stones to bread because Jesus didn't come to use his power to serve himself. He came for a purpose. 
to set captives free and to save sinners. And he did that by keeping that law perfectly, by never falling into a temptation from the devil. And so not only did he not serve himself, but he actively obeyed his Father in heaven, something that you and I couldn't do on our own. Let me give you another example. Garden of Gethsemane. Picture that in in your head. I've never been there. Maybe you've seen a picture of it. Maybe you've been there. Um, Picture that. Picture the Garden of Gethsemane. What happened there? Jesus is praying because he knows his time is near. He knows he's about to go to the cross, and so he's in great distress. It, It says, sweat fell from his brow like drops of blood. So this is a real intense time for Jesus. He just gets done praying in great distress when a mob of people come. You picture pitchforks and and torches. They're led by one of Jesus' disciples and his betrayer, Judas. Judas kisses him and says, this is the man. That identifies him to the mob. Now, now think about Jesus in that scenario. Jesus has all the power of, of true God. He spoke the world into being. He could snap his finger and all that mob would have fallen to the ground dead right there. He wouldn't have even had to, to snap his finger. He could have blinked his eye and they would have fallen to the ground dead there. But he was never going to use his power for his own selfish purposes because he came for a purpose, to set captives free and to save sinners. And so he knew that he had to suffer. He knew he had to go through sufferings and beatings and eventually be murdered on a cross. And so he gave himself over. He gave himself over, even though he was completely free to fight back, he willingly gave himself up. He traded freedom for for slavery so that you could be free. That, That was his purpose. He came to set captives free and to save sinners. He knew that you were under the control of Satan, He knew that you were a slave to sin, caught in the bonds of slavery to sin. And he knew that only through his perfect life, only by keeping the law perfectly, could he set you free. He knew that only by defeating death could you truly be free. So Jesus did it. He came to earth for a purpose and he accomplished his purpose for you. You are free. The chains have been thrown off. You are no longer a slave to sin or the devil. Jesus said in another part of John, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. (laughs) You truly are free. Well, we've covered half of verse 19. Uh, We've been talking for a while now. We've got through half a verse. Don't worry, it's not going to be an hour sermon, I promise. We've got some more verses to cover here. I think we've pretty well established what it means to be free. You're at least starting to get an idea of what freedom in Christ looks like, that I've been freed from the the bonds of slavery. And that's how Paul starts everything out. Though I am free, belong to no one. But then he goes on. I have made myself a slave to everyone. Didn't we say that it would kind of be illogical to go from, from being free to being a slave? We said that with Harold Johnson. It would be illogical for him to go back into, into slavery. So what's Paul saying? You're going to have this verse memorized by the time we're done. Though, 
Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Though I am free, he roots everything in that. So, so that part is so important. That's why we took so long to, to talk about that. What it means to be free. This is his motivation. This is his sure foundation. This is what inspires everything that comes after this. And then he says, I have made myself a slave to everyone. First note, nobody is doing this to him. The devil is not enslaving him again. Nobody's making him do this. He is making himself a slave. And he's not entering into slavery to sin or slavery to the devil. That's where the metaphor gets a little mixed here. We, we talked about freedom from slavery to sin and slavery to the devil. Paul's not re-entering that. But he's making himself a slave to everyone. Making himself a slave to his neighbor. Why? It's all rooted in the motivation at the beginning, right? He is free. He understands what freedom is in Christ. And Paul understands it better than most. Because he knew what slavery to sin was like in the past. He knows what it's like to be free and he wants others to be free too. And so, he is willing to enslave himself to everyone to win as many as possible. Just like Jesus had a purpose. He came to set captives free and save sinners. So we also have a purpose. So Paul also has a purpose. To win as many as possible. If that's still a little unclear, it's okay. Paul goes on with three, three different examples. So the next one, if you give me the next slide, Jackson, sorry. <clears throat> Paul goes on and says, To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. That's a tongue, tongue twister, right? Uh, it seems like Paul's maybe giving two examples here, and he is, but these two examples describe the same kind of person here. If you were a Jew that lived back at the time of Jesus, you grew up a certain way. You grew up with certain laws and customs that your family followed, and they went back a long ways. Because these laws and customs were given to Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And this is what we have come to know as the ceremonial law. And so contained in this ceremonial law are things like the sons were circumcised on the eighth day. They were presented in the temple on the, the 40th day. Uh, you weren't to eat pork or shellfish. These were unclean foods. You stayed away from those. And so Jewish people at that time were raised a certain way with those laws and customs. And Paul knew this better than anyone. Paul was a Jewish man. Yet Paul also knew something else. That when Jesus came and lived and died and rose, that he fulfilled that law. So that, that's what he says there. Though I myself am not under the law. He's not under the law because Christ has fulfilled that law. You are not under the law because Christ has fulfilled that law. So those things that were contained in the ceremonial law, they used to be uh, required. This was the law. This is how we obeyed God. Christ has fulfilled this. You are now free. Where you once weren't allowed to eat pork and shellfish, now you can eat to the glory of God. Right? You are free to do this. If you knew Christ, you believed that. To the Jewish person who did not yet know about Jesus, they still followed the ceremonial law, right? And so they wouldn't have eaten pork or shellfish. 
they would have still adhered to these laws and customs that were given to Moses and the Israelites way back when. Right? So, so all that is background to this scenario. Imagine this. Paul is invited to a dinner party thrown by a, a Jewish man and a Jewish family with a whole Jewish community there. It's a potluck. We'll, we'll add a little Lutheran element into it here. So, so Paul decides, I'm going to bring some delicious pulled pork sandwiches. Good, yeah, on unleavened bread. He carries in his crock pot to the party. Imagine the looks that he might get. After all, Paul is free. He's free, right? He, he can eat to the glory of God. He, he can eat pork, shellfish, whatever he likes to the glory of God. He's free, so he brings pork. Yet to a room that doesn't know Jesus yet, to a room that still followed the, the ceremonial law, this would be highly offensive. He, he'd get some looks of judgment. How could you bring this in here? He, he'd get some looks where, where people actually just felt guilty at the mere presence of this pork. It, probably a range of emotions would go through people at, the, at this time. But the point is this. Because Paul is exercising his freedom in this way by bringing pulled pork sandwiches, he is putting an obstacle in the way of the gospel to these Jewish people. His witness to these people has been tainted because he has brought this thing that is considered offensive to this culture in. Paul has every right and freedom to eat pork or shellfish or do whatever, eat whatever he likes. This obstacle is now going to be in the way of the gospel as he seeks to reach out to Jews who do not yet know Jesus. Next example. Jackson, give me the next one there. There you go. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I myself am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. That, that thing in parentheses there, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, that's Paul's way of saying that that I am not under the law that was given to Moses, the ceremonial law like we just talked about. He's under Christ's law. He lives in grace. He lives in the gospel, and that's the law that you're under too, so that's what he's saying there. Now, if Paul was invited to a Gentile uh, dinner party, it might look a lot different than a Jewish party, right? He, he wouldn't have the same concerns about pork or shellfish or, or whatever, um, he would have different concerns, and, and the Gentiles are, are wide and various. They had a lot of different customs. But Paul's main point here is, will I exercise my freedom at the expense of my witness to somebody else? Will I exercise my freedom that I have a right to exercise, but then hinder the gospel to somebody else? And Paul says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to hinder the, the gospel message because I want to win as many as possible. I want as many people as possible to know about freedom in Christ and so that I'm willing to give up my freedom. I'm willing to enslave myself in ways to win as many as possible. Last one here. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. It's interesting that he puts this one in here. So we've talked about the Jews. We've talked about the Gentiles. That's everybody. <laughs> Jews or non-Jews. That, that covers everybody, right? 
It's interesting that he specifies this third one. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Now, what kind of weakness is he talking about? Is he talking about weak, weak in body, weak in mind, weak in conscience, weak in, in strength? He's, he's vague here, and perhaps on purpose. He, he's saying, I'm going to do whatever I can to win the weak, even if it means enslaving myself to them, even if it means denying my freedom to someone else. And remember, we rooted this all in a purpose, right? Jesus gave up his freedom for a purpose, to come and set captives free and to save sinners. We give up our freedom for a purpose. Go to the next one, Jackson. I have become all things to all people, That's that by all possible means, I might save some. That's our goal, too. That is our purpose, too. That I, may, I am free in Christ, and I root everything in my freedom in Christ. That is my motivation, that's my inspiration, that's what drives me. But I am willing to give up my freedom that somebody else might know Christ. That somebody else might be able to hear about Christ. So I can give up the things that I want, the things that, that I, I really like, if it communicates Christ to somebody else. I'm willing to give up the things that I'm used to, the things that I like, just so I can reach a few more people in Brandon and in the surrounding area. Just so somebody feels comfortable when they come to, to worship or Bible study. I'm willing to give those things up. And, and so we, on our mission, and I love that it's, it's called a mission, and I love that we are called a mission because that's why we're here. We're here to reach more people. But we become professional obstacle removers. <laughs> we know that the, the Holy Spirit is powerful. We know that the gospel is powerful. We just got to remove some of these obstacles and let the Holy Spirit come through, right? And so if you know somebody who thinks that everybody in church is judgmental and they all look down on people, then you're going to set as your goal, as your mission, to exude as much grace as you possibly could so that there is no possible way that this person could think that church people are judgmental. Maybe some people think that, that in a church, uh, there's all these cliques, right? Everybody just kind of hangs out in their own little group. And so you're going to make it your mission to, to maybe not talk to your, your friends, but you're going to talk to somebody different each, every, each and every Sunday. You're going to be the first person to greet somebody as they, they come through the door. You're going to ask people what, what to pray for. You're going to be out in, in the community and want to be involved in, in people's lives. You're willing to give up your, your comfortability to, to make them feel welcome. We, we could have a lot of different examples here, right, of being an obstacle remover, of knowing that I have the freedom to do something. And it's okay for me to have my wants and preferences, but because I want to win as many for Christ as possible, that I am willing to do that. I'm willing to, to set aside my freedoms, my wants, my desires to chase after this person for the sake of freedom in Christ. Paul wraps it up real nice with the, the last verse. Because this is, our motivation is always the gospel. Our motivation is always freedom in Christ. That's why we rooted everything in the beginning in our freedom in Christ. This is what motivates us to enslave ourselves to other people. This is what motivates us to move from freedom back into slavery to other people that we might win some. This last verse here, next one, Jackson. Um, 
before I'm going to close by reading this last verse, but before we get too far in, before we read this verse, I just want to point something out to you. This is a, a great translation of this verse, but there's, there's a nuance that, that is even missed here in the, in the English. In this last part, it, it puts that last phrase is better translated as, I might become the gospel's participant. That's pretty cool. That I get to participate with the gospel. That, that we, as, as believers, know that the word of God is powerful and active and that it works in hearts and it changes lives. We know that the Holy Spirit works through the word to create faith in, in the hearts. And I am by no way inserting myself into that process. I do not create faith in somebody's heart. But we get to be the gospel's participant. God chooses to use humans, weak vessels, to carry this powerful gospel message to other people. And in this way, we get to participate in the gospel. We get to see the Holy Spirit create faith in people's hearts for the first time, and that is an extremely exciting, exciting thing. So let's read Paul's last verse. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. God grant it. Amen. Please stand.